0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A. Um, I'm going to have the windows open because I still have a little bit of a cold and lost my voice from Retro World Expo, which was awesome. I hope that I get to see many of you there. So it's probably going to be a little bit noisier background noise. I just heard a siren go by, which is a little reminiscent of the New York days. Uh, But I'm trying my best to clean up this audio. I just, I don't want to be sitting here sweating during all of these looking gross. So I got to either have the AC on or the windows open. And I really like having this boom mic here rather than having that other thing thing that used to be directly in front of my face so any complaints about the audio please let me know i'm trying my best to find a happy medium but it's really kind of process the audio and hope for the best or have that thing shoved directly in front of my face like i used to but anyway enough complaining and 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 word vomiting let's just jump in and see what's been going on in the past couple of weeks First up, over on Floatplane, the importer wanted to know where they can get decent PSP-3000 replacement batteries. They remember somebody asked this question in the past, but they were hoping that I would have found a good source for them because theirs is dying and they don't want to get either a junky one or one that's going to swell up and damage their console or themselves or whatever else. And I have failed you, the importer. I'm sorry. I do remember that question and I never really got around to digging deep and researching it. I'm also very picky about anything power related, so I I vaguely remember kind of looking up some stuff, finding some replacement ones, and somebody had some good suggestions, but I never bought them and really put them to the test. So I'm going to have to, unfortunately, once again, defer to all of you. Please let me know your suggestions. If there's one that everybody kind of agrees on, I'll pin a comment or add a link. The only suggestion is YouTube is getting or doubling down on not allowing links in the comments, which is cool. I actually think that that is one of the few things they get right. However, we could still do this. You just have to describe it. Like, You know if ryan was selling one which i don't think he is but if he was you could just say in the comments go to castlemania and search for psp 3000 and the one that pops up with the blue label is the one that you want and i'll look at that i'll get the link verify it and then and then pin it so sorry to kind of cop it out and uh, cop out on this one and pass the buck back in your direction but i also don't really have any handhelds anymore because i'm not really a handheld gamer So I don't really have any way to test this either. Uh, So if you're in need of one right away, I would ask your local game store. Hopefully you have people near you that you could trust that would just be honest. Like, hey, there's a cheap one. I've never had any complaints, but I never tested it. So give it your best shot. Like That's a perfectly reasonable answer, but hopefully we'll find good verified ones at some point. Mark Baltrac wants to know if I have any recommendations on a component video switch until they could eventually get their hands on a G-Comp switch, or even some bad ones to avoid. Well, I've always loved the Extron Crosspoint switches, and while they're BNC connectors, you could just get... Actually, you could get a bag of these. Basically just a bunch of RCA to BNC connectors. You can get them very cheap. I'll leave a link to the ones that I picked up. Um, and that should be an excellent solution. It's not automatic, though. But you can do matrix switching. You know, you could get, you could find them fairly cheap on eBay still. And these were all really good pieces of equipment. Now, of course, they're all twenty plus years old. So, you know, it's really a trade-off. Obviously, the G Comp is a brand new switch designed for retro gaming. So, I truly think that that might be the best solution for anybody that doesn't need matrix switching. But the Extrons were thousand plus dollar devices. The only downside is they're older, which means at some point the caps are gonna go, the power supply might go, etc. So picking one up either knowing that or just as a temporary solution is excellent. However, any push button manual switch should be fine. Maybe you'll get some interference on the screen, maybe you'll get an audio buzz, but it shouldn't hurt anything because all it's doing is switching between the inputs with a manual push button. Now I have used audio authority switches in the past and I had mostly good luck. Um, That's another brand that used to be very expensive that you could kind of find on eBay pretty cheap. The only thing that I would really be cautious of are basically any powered switch that you could find on Amazon nowadays. Maybe it's awesome, maybe it's not, but that's the type of thing where you never really know what could go wrong. There's less that could go wrong with component than RGB SCART, but I would either go with the cheapest push button switch you could always use it as a spare throw it in your drawer when you get the real one or I would look into an Extron crosspoint and you know kind of approach it as either hey maybe this is exactly what I wanted anyway or this is an awesome piece of equipment and when the G-scarts G-comps come out again I'll either have to decide do I spend the money on a new G-comp that's going to last a long time, or do I spend about the same amount of money to have this one serviced and recapped to ensure that this will last for a long time? But that one's kind of kind of going to be on you to decide, but it is easier to find component stuff than it is RGB SCART, so that's going to be a little easier. Also, how'd I do with your name? Kind of okay? Close? <laughs> Marco Vizzini has done the Nintendo DS TV mod, which outputs composite video, but they were also hoping to wire in some kind of wireless controller receiver, so that way they could just use a controller separately. I think that's a good idea, but what would you do for games where you're outputting on the screen, but you also need the touchpad? So I think that might be one of the reasons why people haven't tapped into that yet and built something, Um, but I imagine there's plenty of games that just wouldn't need that at all, or if you're doing the two-screen setup, as long as you don't need the touchpad, that might work. But what I would keep an eye on is postman mods and their upcoming DS consoleization kit, um, or maybe just TV out kit. I'm not quite sure. They haven't posted too many de- details of it, but they might be thinking about something like that as well, or even an installation guide for using an existing receiver or something. So while I really don't have an answer for you at all, I, I could at least point you in the direction of, Follow them on social media just to see what you think, and maybe somebody else will come up with this soon. But it's a good idea. I just don't have an answer. Sorry. Tony Shadwick says, Regarding the g switch and G-COMP switch, the creator has made a relatively big deal not to use super guns with his switches as the audio lines can be damaged. They understand why, depending on the board, you could wind up with amplified speaker level audio running in and they know they're do it yourself circuits to mitigate this. And honestly, in their case, they probably would just bypass the JAMA audio lines and route that elsewhere. But they were curious to know if you were aware of any super guns that already addressed the issue. So, excellent question. I'll skip to the end. The uh, Minigun, I believe, which is an open-source design that people were making. The Ashenworks, uh, uh, Ashenworks Mini, I believe, addressed it. And I think the upcoming or recently released version of the Hass, the Home Arcade system, I haven't talked to them in a while. I really have to reach out. Um, I think those have addressed it, so it's perfectly safe. And regarding Super G's stance on this, I completely agree with the way he's approaching it because there is no way to just tell people, oh, flip this switch, check this setting. The only way to truly know if your voltage is going over is to use an oscilloscope, which, I mean... If I were Super G, there's no way I would be like, yeah, in order to check your equipment, buy this $350 piece of equipment, go watch three of Bob's videos and spend an entire day. Like, there's no way I would ask anybody to do that. So I I truly believe his stance of just saying don't use them with super guns is really his way of saying, if you know what you're doing and you have the equipment to double check yourself, you already know it's safe anyway. So I just want to be cautious. So I, I think that was absolutely the right way to go. But just for the record, it's not just the G switches. It's anything. Because even if you get a mechanical push button switch with no circuitry, there's nothing to blow out in that except your target device. So having that stance of, you know, being careful with super guns is absolutely the right way to go. Because, I mean, imagine if you did something like um, plugged the voltage into a PVM, and now you blow that out after you've calibrated it or something. So that would be pretty heartbreaking. So, yeah, I would start with those, but I think there's others out there, and I know T has been working on one for a long time that also addresses this. You still got to just be cautious with video. Make sure you don't turn the potentiometer all the way up. That should still be safe with those maybe, but just as long as you keep it so it's visually not too bright, you should be fine. But once again, the only way to truly test both video and audio is with an oscilloscope. Um, the audio circuits on the minigun and the Works have protection, so if you turn up the audio too high, it just clips. It won't blow anything out, but I'm not sure if anybody has video protection. So let me know if you have any other questions or anything, but I think that may have just kind of summed everything up. Another question from Tony. They want to know what this adapter is. It's essentially an adapter for a power supply an AC to DC wall style power supply that changes the type of connector. And these are used on certain brand power supplies that are universal. So all you have to do is change what plugs into the wall and the circuitry inside will take whatever voltage that you're sending it and convert it to the correct DC voltage. Now, I have seen these with OSSC, the CoreU, and some of the GSCARTS, but that's a good question. I don't know where to get replacement heads for it, so I would love to defer to all of you. I'll leave a link to this picture in the description. Does anybody know where to get replacements of these? eBay, Amazon, AliExpress, whatever, because it's just the head. It's not the power supply itself. So as long as a connection is made, it should be fine. The power supply is doing the rest of the work. So good question. And I'd also kind of like to know the answer to that myself. So uh, if anybody has an idea, please let us know. Tor Lundquist is trying to connect an RGB modded PC Engine Duo to their JVC DT V1710 CG monitor and they found an issue with horizontal sync at the top of the screen. They think it's the same issue that I talked about with a Sony monitor, that the problem was missing horizontal slices in the vertical sync block. What options do they have to fix this issue in 2022? Nothing. So this is actually something I was just talking to a few people about last weekend, and that back in 2017, I tried to start a project to fix all of this, but it was much more complicated than I thought, because the goal was to try to use off-the-shelf components to build a very cheap device. In fact, a device where the most expensive components were the connectors. So it's still gonna be 50, 60 bucks because of the connectors, not anything else on it. And a lot of people ended up coming to the conclusion that in order to truly do this, you're gonna need an FPGA chip to read the sync signal, figure out, does it have the proper sync slices or not? And then from there regenerate it digitally into a new sync signal so that way it's fully compatible and in doing this you might see some horizontal shift so then we were thinking of well could we include horizontal shift controls in it as well Um, and then all of the people that i was working on ended up getting into more important projects and i mean that with respect i think this project is very important for people however I think in the scheme of things, what they chose to work on instead at the moment was the right move. But I'd like to get back around to this because no matter what new and awesome stuff we have coming, to be, coming available to play on flat panels, we still have the issue of some monitors like the JVC PVMs or certain BVMs are always going to have weird issues with master system and PC engines. Now, Super-G was able to include the fix for Master System in the latest G-SCART Switch, but the PC Engine has a slightly different issue. Could be different timings as well. So hopefully, after last weekend and after all of us kind of hanging out talking about this stuff, we'd be able to figure out a fix for it at some point. But if the fix truly is getting a cheaper FPGA, that $5 FPGA is now 50 60 So this would now be a $200 item that I just don't know... I just don't know if anybody would buy that. So one thing you could do is you could run a mister because they fixed the way the sync is regenerated, even though it's the same exact signal and refresh rate, the way the signal is generated, it includes everything that you would need. So that is certainly not the best answer, but it is an alternative at the moment. And, you know, depending on what you need to run your mister, if you just get a, a DE10 And play PC Engine, you could get that for not much more than a box like this would cost today. But I do hope after the part shortage is over or slowing down, we can swing back around and come out with a device that does this. Because I also think if we include other features that it may or may not need, it could become a multi-purpose device. Um, So I was calling it the analog cleaner because my idea was to have all analog signals in. And the RGB lines would be untouched but the sync would be regenerated on all of them. And you could also have things like low pass filters, horizontal shift, dual output. So it would be one box that did a ton of different things. And I think if we can get that to $199, whatever, I think that would be something that a lot of people with many different types of equipment would love because it would solve multiple problems. So that's still the goal but I have some very smart people looking into it, far smarter than me, so uh, if anybody else is listening who thinks that they could do that or already have something, please let me know, because I don't like duplicating efforts, especially because we were planning on making this 100% open source anyway, so if anybody has any ideas, please reach out, but uh, I'm very sorry I don't have anything for you right now, because this is a nagging issue that's been bugging a lot of people, and there's a few other scenarios, not just PC Engine and SMS, but random some neo geos do this not all uh, on the aes side of things Um, dreamcast will sometimes do it and sometimes if you have consoles that actually generate h and v sync and you need to combine them that will also happen as well so we're trying to look for the fix but it's not easy and there certainly isn't one fix at least at the moment there isn't one fix for everything that's kind of the goal Virtually Retro wants to know if there's any good reason to keep a 720p 1080i TV from 2010, a Vizio. They plan to collect all major consoles eventually, so maybe it's good for some PS2, PS3, or Xbox 360 games. So that's a complicated question. Um, I'm going to have to give a bit of a detailed answer, but I think this is a cool one, so hopefully this won't count as rambling. Basically, you're going to want to check every TV... For lag and for resolution and for different features. So it's my very strong opinion that HD CRTs, and even they called them ED TVs, not TVs with erectile dysfunction, but um, enhanced definition, basically 480p TVs, I think can be excellent for sixth gen consoles and up. So PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, uh, GameCube, Dreamcast, even the Wii actually. But you really need to test a few things. So I recently tested an HD CRT that has about two frames of lag. However, there's no motion blur. It's consistent lag. And it's the same exact amount of lag for 480i as it is 480p. So in that scenario, you're actually talking about a pretty good overall experience for something like the PS2 that has tons of, or actually most 480i games but other options available as well. So I think that was pretty cool. Um, also, those plasma TVs that were 480p, some of those were the same thing, about two frames of lag, but much less motion blur. And as I showed in the uh, lag test or myth-busting panel lag thing, I forgot the name of the video, but um, they draw their screen differently than other panels. So two frames of lag might actually be argued it is only one frame of lag, depending and also where you're looking on the screen for the type of game might affect that as well. So there are scenarios in which just lag numbers don't mean what you think they mean. Now, on the flip side, if that's an LCD panel with tons of ghosting and motion blur, and if it's an alternate resolution, so if it's not actually you know, 1280 by 720, that could end up being not the greatest experience. So you would have to test it with a time sleuth. You'd have to use your eyes to kind of decide on the ghosting and the motion blur. And you'd have to look up specs uh, to see exactly how that one would perform. So if it is, you know, two frames of lag on a, a motion blur filled LCD panel that runs at 1366 by 768, might not actually be a good monitor to keep Um, really and especially if it's I've seen some TVs from back then that don't have a game mode at all so it's not two frames it's like five frames so that's certainly something that you're going to want to look into Um, but I wouldn't discount anything right away I would test it first because there are a lot of people out there that heard the truth that, you know, like HDCRTs can have lag, so they just kind of discarded them without realizing that it's applied differently. Same thing with older plasmas. The only thing that I would always kind of keep a pause on is LCD panels, because the ones of that era, unless you spent a lot of money on them, were kind of underperformers. So I guess if you wanted a short summary of that, if it's an LCD panel, answer's probably not probably no, probably not something you'd want to hold on to unless it's nostalgic or you have a big basement, you want to throw it in there. So someday you could, you know, kind of do a comparison of of different TVs, but if it's a plasma or a CRT, the answer is almost surely going to be yes. You're going to want to hold on to that for a number of different reasons. PC monitors. Those are hit or miss. Uh, I'm not, you know, that's another one you're talking about a TV here, but PC monitors are things that are very interesting because they've been a lot lower latency Except most of them have terrible scalers in them. So if you could run them at native resolution, they could still be very good. Uh, But if you run it at a lower resolution, it it looks terrible. So not an easy answer to that one, but hopefully I was at least able to shed some light on it. And I will at some point do a video on this. I just, uh, I have no extra time these days. I'm trying to find some because I have a few cool ideas for videos that I think would help for things like this. But... Hopefully the Q&A answers will kind of supplement that until then. Jay noticed that some HDMI switches have a 5-volt power supply marked as optional. So do I know what kind of performance differences would arise when using these without external power? And that really is going to depend on the switch and the situation. If there are super low-powered devices, like some of the audio extractors or splitters that I use, and your HDMI equipment is up to spec, probably nothing probably just work fine. However, you're not really supposed to be powering stuff off of the HDMI voltage, and that's because of the amount of amperage it might draw from your console, your TV, whatever else, and there should be protections involved, but this is one of those weird situations where if everything's built correctly, should be no problem, and if everything is built wrong, you could you could damage all of it, but... I personally would say that if, if there's a power supply optional, I would use it unless it's a scenario which um, it's really gonna be a giant pain. And in which case I would say, just try it without it first and see what happens. There are some things like, let me grab my lag testing thingy here. Like, there's some devices like this super low powered deck, this HDMI to VGA converter that doesn't even have the option for power. And I, I can't imagine something so low powered like this would ever cause an issue. Um, I use it all the time with my time sleuth and stuff like that, but, you know, I I think if Steve from HD Retrovision were here, he'd he'd probably be wagging his finger at us saying, no, you should always use everything up to spec. You're not supposed to power things off HDMI, but I think there's kind of a happy medium that you have to find. So if you have the easy ability to power it, just do it. If you don't plug everything in, And if you see anything weird like power lights dimming or pulsating or the switch just sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, then you might harm some equipment. But if anybody has any other thoughts on that, what I just said is mostly speculation based on facts that I've learned from friends and my own personal testing. But if anybody has any solid information on that, please feel free to let me know. I will listen. I will do some more research. But I think it just comes down to, the only way to truly know is to open up every component, find all of the chips that they're using, read the specs on all of them, and it's just, it's way too hard to find out something like that, you know, an in, in answer in a, in a general sense, I guess. Next up, Durf wanted to chime in about the discussion from last week about different power supplies, and he wanted to remind us that there's now an awesome list on the wiki of people who are collaborating and getting all of the best part numbers for the Triad PSUs. So I'll leave a link to that in the description, and thanks very much, Durf, for keeping up with the wiki and making all this awesomeness happen. Ishan wants to know if there's a switch I could recommend for analog video out from the Mr. I.O. board so they could switch between their PVM and a VGA monitor. So you're lucky there. All you're going to need is a VGA switch. So you could get an old KVM, you could look up an Extron brand, which are probably going to be cheap and pretty good. But that should just be a basic VGA switch. Get yourself a short cable, or if you need a longer one, check the one in my Amazon list because that's the one that Steve from HD Retrovision told me about, and I've been using them for years. Um, so that it's, you're lucky, that's an easy one. And then on the other side of it, obviously just use a VGA to BNC cable for your PVM and another standard VGA cable for your VGA monitor. So luckily that was an easy one this time. I'll leave a link to the cables that I use. Aaron Etheridge wants to know if the new Blue Retro internal controller replacement board for the GameCube can be installed on a Panasonic Q. That is a good question. I have no clue. I've never even seen a queue in person, or if I did, it was at a distance. What well, you would just need to know if, it's, if the board mounting is... Basically, can you use a GameCube controller board in a queue? If you can, I assume the answer is yes, and if you can't, I would assume the answer is no. But can any GameCube fans chime in on this one? I've certainly never opened one up uh, or even been close to a queue, so I, uh, I wouldn't be able to answer this one. But that should be an easy question to, to solve from any GameCube experts. Stillnesses? Did I say that right? Stillnesses? Stillnesses? I think that's right. Uh, wants to know what's the best way to connect a Nintendo Switch from HDMI to a SCART CRT TV. They have a consumer TV with three SCART inputs. They tried to use a cheap HDMI to SCART and RCA converters, but neither worked or had no colors. They were thinking about using HDMI to VGA converter and a VGA to SCART next. Can I suggest anything? Well, this is much more complicated than you'd think. First, are you absolutely sure that that consumer TV accepts RGB over SCART? And if so, do you need voltage on a certain pin in order to activate that? And that's something that I don't have almost any experience with at all, because we never had that here in the US. Any, The only TV I have with RGB SCART input is the tiny little old school looking one up there. And that just seems to have worked with everything I plugged in it. But I know this is an issue on the flip side of it which resolution are you going to 480i or 240p most of the converters out there can go to 480i but it's going to add some latency just like the live stream i did with lewis but there are other ways around it so i'll leave a link to the live stream and the write-up that i did but you're first going to have to figure out what exactly your consumer tv will accept it's definitely going to be 15 kilohertz so 240p or 480i but are they rgb ports are they composite video ports? Are they a mix of both, which I believe is kind of common? And then what is needed to activate that? So without that information, I can't really give any other suggestions other than to check out the post and, and maybe even the live stream just to show different downscaling methods from that perspective as well. But uh, hopefully you'll be able to to get this working. Andrew Fiore said they had a great time attending the Retro RGB panel last weekend and they would have never heard about the expo without the weekly roundup. So I wanted to address that first. That's why I was so annoying about that at the beginning of every single one of those podcasts for the past few months. Both because I, I mean, I genuinely love that expo. Lance and Chris who run it are amazing. And I really did want to promote all of the amazing people who were going to be there as well. But that's the other thing. And even after talking about it for months I still saw a few people on social media say oh that's too bad I wish I didn't know about that like oh you know so I try my best to get the word out there but if anybody was like enough already I'm already going stop talking about it that's why so thank you for being forgiving nobody complained but if you were thinking that internally that that's why so anyway Andrew thrifted a Sony component composite matrix that sends out video over cat 5e e cables It requires the use of a Cat5e to component active Balin, which are somewhat expensive. Upon disassembly, there does seem to be an IC chip. Would this mean that a do-it-yourself replacement is out of the question? It depends what's going on in that converter. If it's one of those things where the conversion is done on the board and the only thing that you're getting from the Cat5e side is the cable conversion, you should be able to wire directly to that IC and just get all of your different video signals from it. However, if it's one of those cases where part of the circuitry is in uh, in the, the matrix box and the other part is in the cable or adapter, then no, then you're not going to be able to do that. But I would look that up. I would look up the model numbers and I would also look up if anybody has ever lag tested it because that's one of those things where it's got to be almost 10 years ago now pushing that Uh, a friend of mine works for, or owns a company that does very, very high end installations like multi million dollar houses and home automation, video distribution, And that was one of the things that I had helped them work on was trying to get video distributed to multi different rooms. So you have your console in one room and you're able to access it in different ones. And at the time, I strongly, strongly recommend it against that because of the latency of both controllers and video signals going that distance through that kind of converters. And the last time I spoke to them, they said that they were using a new company that has less than one millisecond latency when doing this conversion, which for modern consoles is totally fine. So you would really have to figure out which models do what if this is one that you found that, that could be used for low latency, or maybe you're thinking of a completely different use case. Maybe you're just thinking of not gaming, but you want to distribute video around your house or something. But just in case anybody else is listening, I definitely wanted to put that out there. Just don't go find yourself one of these cheap ones used somewhere and assume that you could do it. There's always going to be latency, color compression. There's a lot of stuff that you would almost never really notice, especially if you're using like a cable box or something like that. You would never notice that versus a video game console in which you would notice all of those things. So awesome question, but you're going to have to do quite a bit of research on this one to see if it'll do whatever you need it to. A couple of questions from Elmer M., First, are there major visual differences in the video signal quality of PS3s when using component and HDMI? What's best? Well, that's kind of a complicated one and kind of an easy one. If you're going to an analog display, they're exactly the same. So component into a BVM running at 720p versus HDMI through an HDMI to component converter going into a BVM, they're going to look exactly the same. Going to a flat panel, you're always going to have a slightly better picture if you stay completely digital. So, flat panel, capture card, whatever else. However, there are certain scenarios in which using the component video output, going to a RetroTink 5X, or, you know, and scaling it that way, adding different filters and stuff, would technically get you a better picture. Now, of course, when the more modern scalers come out next year or the year after that have HDMI inputs, That would be what I would suggest because you just stay digital the whole time. So really, I would just kind of use whatever fits your setup best and not think about it. If you're going direct into your TV that has an HDMI input, just use that. If you want to use cool filters, just use Component and go through a retro tank or something and kind of not really worry about it yet. Second question. So should we be setting uh, 1080p or 720p for Xbox 360, PS3, and Wii U? So that is kind of something that's been up for debate, and John Linneman did a really good video about the different PS3 1080p launch titles, and one of the things mentioned was some games would only run at 480p or 1080p and not 720 However, some games do get a frame rate boost if you run them at a lower resolution. So If this is something that's really important to you, I would dig in deep and research each individual console and each game that you love to play. Um, There could absolutely be scenarios in which you'd want to run any of those at lower resolutions. But at the moment, especially when we don't have HDMI input gaming scalers available yet, I would really just kind of set it to whatever your TV's native resolution is and go from there or just do some experimenting. But my advice will most likely change as those scalers start to come out. We dig in a little bit deeper. I'd probably bug John and work with him on that as well, just so we could kind of get a database together, maybe on the wiki too, of of what's the best setting for each game on each of those consoles. I know that's a huge undertaking, but that's why we have things like the wiki because it's not about one or two people doing all the work. It's about you know, you take your favorite game, you do your research on it, you post that info up there, and if we all do that, we could have a full library and database up, you know, within a recent within a relatively short period of time. Last, can you use their PS2 light guns with the RetroTink 2X Pro? No. No scalers will will really work with that. The only light guns that work are things like the Wiimote or things that are designed specifically for use with the flat panels or the Philips CDI one because it's basically just a a wireless mouse that's in the end of the gun. It's kind of an interesting one. It's terrible, too. But um, generally speaking, when you're talking about light guns, it's almost always a no with flat panels unless. You read up on it and it's designed, you know, it's a modern thing designed for flat panels like the Sinden Light Gun, the uh, the new one that JB was working on. Um, and lastly, they're not sure what's the best way to set their high def NES to display correctly on both a capture card and a composite component CRT. What's my take? Well... Um, I don't really know what you mean by that, because if you're talking about capture card and a flat panel, I would just set it to whatever you prefer. 720p is probably going to be your best bet. Uh, however, if you're talking about composite output as well, I thought that when the HDMI input was active, you can't also use composite and component output at the same time. In fact, I, I'm i almost positive that because I did a bunch of testing and I asked Kevin to change a mode so you could technically use your high def nest as a lag tester, but the color won't really work right from the composite video. So it's certainly not going to be something that you do through uh, through both. If you're talking about maybe downscaling, you would need external boxes for that, and it would be really whatever whatever those required. So For your fourth question, I think I'm just going to have to ask that you clarify so I can get a better sense of what it is that you're trying to do. Um, But, you know, either way, I wouldn't expect dual output from a high def nest kit at all. Well, that's it for this time. Let me know if the audio bugs you, especially right now, because the wind just kicked in. I don't know if that's adding anything to it. Um, But as usual, thank you to everybody who participates in these. I do very much enjoy doing them. And if you're new to these Q and A's, ask any question you would like, wherever it is that you support in the latest Q and A post. The way these services work, I can't figure out what's an old question on a new post or if you message me directly or, or use whatever other kind of weird posting these services have, I can't really figure out what's what. So it's always easiest just to go into whatever the newest Q&A post you could find, wherever it is that you support is, and ask your question there. And it's also really fun to just scroll through and ask these or and answer these in real time because I really like these to uh, to kind of be set up to feel like you're just hanging out with me somewhere talking, not formal and prepared notes and all of that which means I end up making a ton of mistakes but hopefully it's a little more fun to listen to but anyway thank you all so much and I will see you next week